tomb is empty. If the tomb is empty, then the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, all 40 authors of the Bible couldn't offer you and me any hope whatsoever. It would be a bunch of religious teachings that have no power and no hope at all. What brings all the scriptures together, what takes 40 authors over 1600 years in three different languages and puts it together in one cohesive whole, the 66 books of the Bible, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing makes sense whatsoever at all. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, we of all people should be pitied. People should feel sorry for us if there's no resurrection. And he goes further. If there's no resurrection, we're still dead in our sins. Everything hinges. I love that. You know what I love about it? All our eggs are in one little basket. I love that. That's what true faith is. Christ is God. Christ has been born of the Virgin Mary. Christ has died under Pontius Pilate. Christ was dead and buried. And Christ is risen from the grave. And because of that, we can sing in the face of all adversity. We can sing and have hope in the face of all uncertainty. The Holy Spirit makes that real in our lives. Would you turn to Luke? A matter of fact, I'm going to turn to Luke. Chapter 24, I'll be speaking on, did I have a title up there? Oh, it was up there, yeah, according to the scriptures. Uh, We're going to read the first 49 verses, I'm going to ask Lewis, did Lewis go upstairs? Okay, I'll read it. Okay, you have to listen to me then. Okay, but I will read 49 verses. As I go into this, there are three short stories in these 49 verses. Three short stories. See them as we go from one story, goes into another story, then it leads to a third story. And there's a, there's a theme running through, and you're going to see the scriptures is a theme. There's two themes, actually. There's the resurrection, he's alive, he's not dead. And then there's according to the scriptures. Okay? Both are part of the same coin, two different sides of the same coin. But follow along as we read. <coughs> And then afterwards, I will speak on the second short story. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words these words seemed to be as idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
and they were talking with each other about all the things that had taken, that had happened. While they were talking and discussing these things together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said to them, He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow the heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village in which they were going. He acted as he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards the evening, and the day is far apart, far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen. Indeed, he has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds supernaturally to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are a witness of these things. And behold, am I sending the promise of the Father upon you, but you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Because of the Holy Spirit, you have opened up our minds to understand the scriptures. You have given us a new heart to obey the scriptures. You have given us a new joy and a new hope and a new peace knowing that our sins are 
truly forgiven, God, that there is no condemnation for those who are us in Christ Jesus, God. And I pray by your spirit through the preaching of this word, Father God, that you can show us just how incredible and marvelous the testimony of the scriptures are concerning the death and resurrection of our Savior, your Son. In his precious name I pray. Amen. A lot of reading. It's pouring out. And for the first time, I decided to leave the back screen door open, so hopefully our bedroom won't be so wet. Terry cannot get mad at me now because I confessed that in front of her. I hope the wind's blowing in the right direction. Ouch. Lord, please have mercy on me. Last week I spoke on Palm Sunday about the crowd that welcomed Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And there was great, these great shouts of joy and hosannas filled the air and there was shouting for the earthly king. But unfortunately, unbelief in a personal savior filled their hearts. It was a religious act. A lot was taking place. But Jesus wept. That's Palm Sunday. Because Jesus understood that most people there truly didn't believe. The story we're about to study tonight is similar, but from another perspective. In that same crowd of finicky faith and unbelief were genuine disciples. There's always genuine disciples. You can guarantee it. God always has his genuine disciples. And these genuine disciples represented here by two friends. One's name was Clopas. We don't know the, the name of the other had more than a superficial beliefism. There was a real belief in Christ, but it was uninformed. They had true faith. It was misinformed. It was uninformed. They did not believe in all that the prophets had said about Christ. That's always concerning. You see, they cherry-picked the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. They saw great promises of a restored Israel. We thought it was at this time they said that he was going to restore Israel. But the Old Testament said a lot about the Messiah. But they unfortunately hung on to the things they wanted to hear. Isn't that often human nature when it comes to God? Aren't there certain things we want to believe about God? Aren't there the two or three things that make us feel nice, warm, and close? But God has said a lot about himself. And we need to believe in all that the prophets have said. We need to believe in all that the scriptures have said. We can't cherry pick the one and two and three things about Jesus that make me comfortable. That make me sort of happy and it makes me feel like a Christian. I'm a Christian. I, I believe in the virgin birth or I believe in another doctrine and we believe in a couple of different things. But we cherry pick. That's what these two have done. They missed the great promise of a new Israel. They were looking for a restored Israel. But there was a promise in the Old Testament of a brand new Israel. In Israel, that means the people of God. Nothing to do with Jewish. Israel stands for the people of God. Which comprises of both Jew and Gentile now. This new Israel is not a physical nation, but it's a spiritual entity. Characterized by a new heart towards God. 
true worshiping obedience from the heart. And the grand foundation to this new Israel, this new spiritual entity that the Old Testament spoke about, where Jew and Gentile will live together in harmony, is the common ground they now share in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And now they're making one new man. Jesus is bringing both Jew and Gentile, bringing people from every nation and diversity and culture and background and bringing us all together, white and black, male and female, Jews and Gentiles. And he brings us all together and we're called the new Israel now. For some people, it might be the first time they've ever heard any try of true biblical theology. Sunday after Sunday, people might hear things about Jesus and never understand there's a plan of Jesus. And I just described to you the plan of Jesus, the plan of the Father. And we're here today with a fulfillment of that plan. As I look out and I see diversity, it's a beautiful thing. And the commonality we have is Jesus. And our need for Christ, to see those two friends on the road to Emmaus, they were just thinking about the nation of Israel. They didn't see the big picture. But Jesus is going to make sure they know the big picture. The Old Testament promised the restoration for Israel. But there was a bigger overarching plan for all humanity that Israel and these two disciples missed. And that's why these two disciples are downcast and broken. And Jesus points them to the problem. They were slow to heart to believe in all the scriptures. And as I just said, some fast application. When anyone cherry picks the gospel and fills it, some of it with truths and some with empty promises, it'll always lead to a degree of despondency. When people walk around saying, but I thought God, pastor, I... And, and, and they're like zombies sometimes because life is hard, it's not easy. And we ask why. And we got to go to the scriptures and we're going to find out this is why. And we have these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they're despondent. Their life is unraveled to them, right before them. We thought, and Jesus had to correct them, it has everything to do with the resurrection. As Christians, we have to be careful of half-truths and empty promises, and we've got to be careful of not believing everything the Bible says about Jesus. Contextually, this chapter, there are two main themes runs throughout it, like I said. Number one is, he is alive. In those three short stories, it was all about, he is alive. And the second theme is, it's always according to the scriptures while everyone is marveling at the risen Christ Jesus is pointing them to the scriptures and to his words you think he could have hung around and said yeah I know look at my glorified body I'm looking pretty good aren't I look touch me the spirit doesn't have flesh and bones I have, give, me a, give me a piece of fish I'm in he doesn't do that he says he points us to the word of God He's not saying looking at me. You would think if Jesus appeared out of anywhere, out of the thin air, guess who's there? Jesus. He might as well walk through the wall for all we know. 
The Bible says he appeared. He didn't knock. Didn't come down through the chimney. He was there in the midst of the crowd. You think they would be overwhelmed. They were scared. They thought it was a, a spirit, a ghost. And Jesus points him to the scriptures, not to himself. As I said, there are three episodes in this chapter. They all have these components. It's very important to understand this. The first story, the angel says, "Is he not? He's not here. He is. He is risen." Remember how we told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then it says, and then they remembered his words. They remembered his teaching. They remembered the scriptures. The second one we've already read. We're going to read it anyway. But the third one says this. These are not my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, Jesus says, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written. It is written. God penned itself down in the Old Testament with his own finger. He wrote it that the Christ must suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus is always pointing us to the scriptures. I'll tell you one thing Satan doesn't want anybody in this room to do. Go to the go to the scriptures. Satan hates the scriptures. Unless you're perverting them. Then he loves it. But when you are faithful to the word of God, Satan hates the devil hates it. So we see here two things. That Christ's words concerning himself are steeped in the Old Testament promises. And all the nations are included. This is the new Israel. He didn't say, according to the scriptures, now go and baptize only those in Israel and tell everybody in in your own hometown. He goes, no, go to all the nations now. The old Israel is over now. A new Israel is being birthed. A new humanity has come. I've come here to fulfill the promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Go bless them now with the good news and let them apply faith to the word of God. So it's important to our understanding of Christ's words to these two disciples. In the whole resurrection story, it's very important that the resurrection is not just about uh, Jesus being raised. He's being raised for a purpose, but it's much bigger. It's about the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. The resurrection of Christ is not to make us feel warm and fuzzy. It is about the fulfillment of God's eternal plan of bringing people to himself, the new Israel, according to the scriptures. Let's go to our story about these two fellows. Verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. I'll spend time on this story for the next 15 minutes, and that will be it. That very day, two, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with, with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
In our story tonight, we see Jesus acting like the sort of innocent bystander. He just comes along out of nowhere. He overhears a conversation. He steps in. He starts walking along the road. He's asking a couple of questions of what's taking place. This sets the whole stage for his marvelous unveiling later at dinner. Jesus purposely blinds their eyes, how we don't know, to recognize him who he really was. He didn't have a, you know, the, the fake nose and glasses. He didn't have a little wig. He wasn't trying to hide this. He wasn't incognito. He was who he was. He kept them from recognizing him physically. And there's a reason why he does this. I don't want you to miss this. Everything Christ does is for a reason. But now it serves as a vehicle of investigation. Jesus is setting a stage for something grand. You have to see it like that. You got to see it like when it's two out and it's the bottom of the ninth and it's your team and they put the walk on. Now it's bases loaded. There's two out. The whole stage is set. You know you need a grand slam. And what do you get? Hopefully you get the grand slam. If you're a Met fan, you want the grand slam. Jesus sets the stage. And verse 17 says this. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Jesus' question to them goes to show the sad state that they were in. Sad means, it means gloomy and downcast. But it's not a, a, a physicality. Jesus is looking at the soul. They're despondent. They're broken. It sets the tone for the whole conversation until Jesus arrives. For three days, these men are without a master. Disciples without a teacher. For three years, they followed Jesus. For three years, they saw miracles. For three years, they told him he was going to be raised from the dead. For three years, he heard it. And all of a sudden, they say, it's the third day, but where is he? They despondent. The whole life has been unraveled. Do you ever feel like the whole life is unraveled? Gone. It's, you don't even know how to start over. It's just, it's over. Despondency sets in. That's what these two disciples are experiencing. And we experience that many times in our life. All their hopes and dreams were put into this. He's going to restore Israel. All their hopes and dreams. You know, I'm saying something. God's will and God's desire is not always our dreams. Our life is filled with a lot of broken dreams. I thought it was going. I thought this was it. I thought she was the one. There's nothing for them now to live. They're going backwards. They're going back to a maze. They're, they're going back home. What do we do now? We, we have to, this word captures the whole mood. And Jesus allows it to take place. They could have saw him right away and recognized him. And it would have been like, this is great. This is wonderful. You're alive. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he come to them immediately? Why didn't he come and comfort them right away? Why doesn't he come into your life and your life and your life and my life and comfort us right away? When life is hard, why doesn't he come? Has anybody ever asked that question? 
Are these two disciples the only one ever to question, where were you? Of course not. We still go through it today. But it sets the stage for something incredible. Verse 18 going forward says this. Then one of them named Clopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Who are you? That's what he's saying. What are you out of your mind? Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He said to them, What things? I love Jesus. You know, I really had an insult to injury over here. They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. That's the thing. Our hope has to be in all the scriptures. If our hope is in half of Jesus, it's going to leave you empty. But our hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it's now the third day since these things had happened. And basically they're saying, we don't see him. He said he was going to rise. He was going to come out a mighty warrior, a king. But we still don't see him. Moreover, they go on to say, some of the women in our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said to them, he's alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see him. Jesus is absolutely brilliant. What a savior we have. What a teacher we have. He sets the drama. He allows the pain. He allows the despondency. He allows the hopelessness. He's using their hopelessness and sad experience as an object lesson in faith. He allows themselves to reveal the real underlying problem to this pain. It was the third day, paraphrase as I already said, but he said he was going to rise, but he didn't. Even though some of the women saw the angel and told us we didn't believe, the apostles didn't believe, the apostles heard about the women, the apostles heard the women, and they thought he was, they, were, they were foolish. Even Peter ran, he saw nothing. We're not seeing anything. Well, I need to see something. Brian, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is talking to me. I see something. People want to see things. A changed life doesn't mean anything to most of the people in the world. A brand new change of life and from the drunkard becoming a sane human being, the sinner becoming a saint, the bad person becoming good, change means nothing. They want to see something miraculous. And that's what they're saying. We don't see nothing yet. So without any real hard evidence, we're not going to believe either. And we're going to walk around hopeless. That's what's going on. Jesus sets the whole tone. And here it is. That New Testament religion moving forward will be one based on faith in him, not sight. I'm not going to be with you anymore. You're going to have to learn that true Christianity, true 
biblical Christianity for the next 2,000 years or 3,000 years until he comes back is going to be based on faith and seeing him in the scriptures. That's the lesson. You see, if he would have revealed himself to them right away, they wouldn't have saw the magnitude and the beauty of the scriptures. And he said to them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus shows the heart of the problem. They were slow of heart to believe in all the scriptures concerning Christ. New Testament Christianity is about 66 books of the Bible. New Testament Christianity is not a cherry-picked gospel. It's not a little of Jesus from one book and a little of Jesus from another book. There's over five million letters in the Bible, and it's all about Jesus. 1,139 chapters are all about Jesus. Our life has to be consumed with the Jesus of the Bible. That's the lesson. Not just our hope that he's going to come and make my life all better. That he was the one to redeem Israel. No, I got a bigger job than just you and your dream. He says, you're foolish. You're slow of heart to believe. Foolish doesn't mean stupid. It means dull. They can't see properly. They don't understand properly. They have no understanding. They have half understanding. They believe half of the prophets, but not all the prophets. They don't see the big picture. They only see from their personal perspective. That is a dangerous thing to do in Christianity. Is to see the Jesus we want to see. To see the Jesus that can fix my life. And not the savior of the world. Not the son of God. The only answer to this state of mind and heart is a proper interpretation of the scriptures. A proper interpretation has a beginning. Jesus says, beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he began to teach them about himself. There was no cherry picking He told them the whole story. In counseling, when I'm counseling people, for whatever various reasons, and you're counseling people, I have to hear how much pain is caused by a misunderstanding of Christ. It's very important in counseling. How much of the pain is from a misunderstanding of Christ? Where was the hope laid that they don't understand about life? And as Jesus, many times we've got to go back into, from Moses and throughout the scriptures and counsel people with a better understanding of God, a better understanding of Jesus, and a better understanding of what life is all about. So he says here in verse 28 to 32. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is towards the evening and the day is now far spent. 
So he went to stay with them. But when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave them. And their eyes were open. And then they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Jesus just comes and goes at him anyway. You never know when he's going to come. You never know when he's going to go. And they said to each other, but he does it all for this. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Did their hearts burn when they saw him with the natural eye when they broke the bread? Or did their hearts burn when they saw him in the When were they healed of their hopelessness? When they saw him in the baking of the bread? Or when their hearts burned within them and they saw him in the... New Testament religion is about seeing Jesus where? I cannot come here and show you a miracle. I cannot come here and resurrect Christ. I can't ascend and bring him down. And I can't keep him here. But I can tell you one thing. I can open up the scriptures and I can reveal to you Jesus. And if you have faith, that's what's going to happen. You'll believe and your heart will burn within you. And guess what? Whatever hopelessness and despondency you have, guess what? God will heal you through the scriptures, through a proper interpretation from Moses the revelation on who God is and who the Son of God is. My job isn't here to try to do a miracle. No pastor's job is to do a miracle. No Christian's job is to do a miracle. Our job is to reveal the Jesus of the scriptures. He interpreted to them everything concerning himself. Because of Jesus' proper interpretation of the scriptures, their hearts were set afire. From being despondent only hours before, for three days they were despondent. You know what that's like? It's like spiritually, basically dying of dehydration you're almost dead you're crawling through the desert dehydrated about to die and shrivel up spiritually sometimes it's like that now they're alive I'm alive I'm filled with hope my heart's burning with it I feel alive again and why? because they went to a Bible study a Bible study you can learn more in an hour in a Bible study than you can learn in all the religion in the world More people come out of a Bible study. More people come out of one Christian service with more understanding of Jesus than they ever had all their life. One hour in the Word of God. This is powerful. This is the message of the text. This is it. We don't do a little song and a dance. We don't do a little magic show. We don't juggle. We interpret the scriptures. That's all your soul needs. If you look for more than that, listen to me. You're going to miss Jesus. You're going to miss life. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek for wisdom. But Paul says, I preach Christ and him crucified according to the scriptures. John read it today. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. I give to you that of first importance, which I also received, that Christ 
died, was buried, and was raised according to the... If it was good enough for Jesus, if it's good enough for the apostles, it's good enough for us. Because there's nothing more powerful than the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith are more powerful than the natural eye. This is the message of the text. Their hearts burned within them when they saw Jesus by faith in the scriptures. I know that feeling. I know what it is to sit there and hear a man of God open up the word of God and explain to me everything about Christ from the scriptures. I know the joy. I know the peace. I know the happiness. I know how it erases one bad thought after another. I know what it's like as a pastor to be washed in the water of the word. When you hear about your savior, your problems disappear. When you hear about the new Israel, your troubles disappear. When you hear about Jesus Christ who holds your future in your hand, fear and anxiety disappears. Then why do we look for anything else? How many people know this is true? I ask that for a reason. How much do you see Jesus In the scriptures. How much time do you spend seeing Jesus in the scriptures? If you tell me, Brian, my heart is so filled with hope, I don't need to see Jesus in the scriptures. Then maybe you don't. One thing we do in this church, we build the church up on the scriptures. And everybody's life has truly changed, and I've seen over the years, it's based on the Scriptures. Jesus teaches the greatest and grandest lesson for 2,000 years of Christianity. Jesus is in the Scriptures. Years ago, we were in, I believe it was Dallas, I forget where it was, but, oh no, in Philadelphia, and we were in a church that there was no cross, or there was no, there was no crucifix, and there was no cross, and and we asked the question, I think it was John asked, well, why isn't there a cross? And the preacher said, because it's in the Word. It's in the Word. You see, Paul teaches us a principle. Did you receive the Spirit? Or did you receive salvation by the works of the law? Or hearing with faith? Faith is that component Give from God. We don't have to do a song and a dance. Those who have genuine faith will respond to the teaching of the scriptures. Simple as that. First John chapter four. Go home and read it. Read the first five verses. First John four, first five verses. If you don't believe in us, it's because you weren't part of us. And they left us because they were never with us. Because if they were with us, they would have known what we said. We don't try to convince people. We don't try to manipulate. We speak the truth, and those who have faith are raised from the dead. Praise the Lord.
to all on the Lord. A couple of applications in that too. This is an apt metaphor for life. The lonely journey of life. Life to be feel like a lonely, lonely journey at times. We have these two people walking through life. These two disciples, two broken hearts, trying to heal one another. If you take two broken hearts and they try to heal one another, guess what you get? You get two broken hearts. That's all you get. Two people walking through life might help manage the pain. These two disciples were marching and they were discussing and they were conversing and they were consoling one another. But they were still despondent and they were still hopeless and they were still broken. And that's the best you and I can do with each other and sometimes we're called to do that. But as Christians, we don't walk empty handed. We walk with Christ. And two people without Christ may be able to manage the pain, but they'll never have the hope. Never. That's what these two disciples were. Until not Jesus, but the word of God came into their life. When the word of God came into their life. And their hearts burned within them. And they saw their Christ. They saw their Messiah by faith in the scriptures. They were healed. Only when the real Jesus steps into our life will we have hope. Real hope. Because when you have real hope, no matter what takes place, no matter how many tears we cry, we still cry. As Christians, we still feel pain and we still hurt and we can still wrestle with fear and anxiety, but nothing can steal the hope of heaven. No matter what goes forward, we know God is with us. And the next one, I I, I spoke about it. The emphasis on scriptural understanding is overwhelming. This is Jesus only moments before he's going to ascend. After we've read the rest of chapter 24, he ascends. You have to think about this. The last thing he left his disciples was this emphasis on the scriptures. It was an emphasis. He stages the whole thing and then he was ascended into heaven. The last thing he said to them was, it's according to the scriptures. A proper interpretation of the Bible is medicine for the soul. Only a proper interpretation of the Bible is medicine for the soul. It's both a pound of cure for those who have been misguided When people are misguided, sometimes it's like an adjustment. These two disciples need an adjustment. It's like going to the chiropractor. You're okay, but you just need a a crack. These two disciples needed a crack. But more important than a pound of cure is an ounce of prevention. The closer I get to Christ, the closer I understand the scriptures, the more 
ready I am for whatever the world throws at me. Pastorally, I've seen more damage done to people's lives for only believing in half the scriptures. I've seen people come out of other churches, but they told me this and they told me that, and I gave. I gave a lot. Of them. They, I gave because they said they was. I believe them. I, I, but but life still fell apart. And then you got to bring them down. Got to love them, and then just bring them to the scriptures and let them see the real Jesus. Father, we thank you. I praise you, Father God, for allowing us to walk with you today for 45 minutes in the scriptures, Father God, as you gave us understanding of how much the word of God means to you. God, if it doesn't mean much to us, forgive us. Help us. All my brothers and sisters here that have lost their zeal for the word of God, I pray that you touch their hearts, God, that they, they get back into the scriptures that they don't take the scriptures lightly, that Bible study and an understanding of the scriptures is dear to their heart and close to, the, to what they desire most, Father God. Help us in this endeavor, Father God. Let us see more clearly now than ever before Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Amen.